0: To date, my students have got to ask questions directly to analysts and data scientists from Amazon, Apple, and Google. They've even got to talk directly to CEOs, CMOs, and presidents of companies who have been former clients of mine to get insights on how senior managers use data to drive their business decisions. If you're interested in becoming one of my students, check the links in the description down below. I'm currently offering two programs. One is a one-month career services program, and the other is an analytics apprenticeship program associated with Greensboro College. In both of those programs, we take a three-tiered hybrid approach. So you'll have access to pre-recorded asynchronous lectures, live group lectures in a cohort setting, and one-on-one coaching with experts in the analytics space. On average, our students are gaining about a $16,000 pay increase going through the program. Hello and welcome to the How to Get an Analytics Job podcast. In this podcast, we talk to experts in and around the analytics industry. One week, we may talk to a data scientist from a FANG tech company. Then the next week, we may talk to a data engineer or business analyst, or even I may pull one of my consulting clients so you get to hear from an executive on how they use data to drive business decisions day in and day out. My name is John David Arianson, and I'm the founder of Silvertone Analytics, which is a boutique consulting agency that focuses on analytics for medium to small-sized businesses. I'm also a professor at Greensboro College, where I teach analytics. Most recently, I have founded the Greensboro College Analytics Apprenticeship Program, which melds these two job functions together. This is your opportunity to work directly with me and one of my clients. The Greensboro College Analytics Apprenticeship Program is a three month program. In the first month, you're going to be completing the Analytics Foundation Certification backed by Greensboro College. Then in month two, you're going to be taking that knowledge base that you developed in month one and applying it out in the field where you're going to be working with one of my client's executive teams, where you're going to be solving a business problem using data and analytics tools. Then in the third month, we're going to bring it all together with a full month of career services. Now, this is going to be quite a bit different than the typical career services at a university or a college. Here, I'm going to help you build a professional brand around where you are as an analyst. So in the first month, you have worked with a ton of different data sets. We're going to take the data sets that really resonate with you to help you hone in on your ideal entry-level job. We're going to build a Tableau public portfolio around that area of expertise. We're going to razor-focus your resume and LinkedIn. And I'm also going to coach you on how to talk about yourself in an interview setting. So if you're ready to break into the analytics space, head over to apprenticeship, and there you can learn more about the program and if you're interested, you can apply. With all that being said, let's start the podcast episode. Hello and welcome to the How to Get an Analytics Job podcast where we will help you discover where you've been to the analytics marketplace, what skills you should build, and how to land your analytics dream job. I'm John David, analytics agency owner and educator.
1: And I'm Elizabeth Illig, a private career coach and higher education professional. In this podcast, we will not only help you land your next analytics job, but we will give you the tools and strategies to level up your career.
0: Hey guys, welcome back to the podcast. In this episode, we're going to talk about leveling up your career. And I'm here with Tuan Huang out of London, which is so cool. He's got such an interesting accent, especially for, you know, a little Southern boy like me to talk to. So, Tuan, how are you doing today?
1: Hey, thanks,
0: Sean. I am
1: doing very well. It's been a lovely and wonderful Sunday. I'm sure it's going to get better.
0: Yeah. Well, I was about to say, before we hit this record button, we've been, you know, talking for about 30 minutes. So I figured let's just get some of this conversation down and I kind of wanted to root this conversation on analytics career paths. Because you've been, what, you're an industry veteran, right? You've been around for how many years?
1: About 15, give or take. So I've been and seen that.
0: Wow, you've been, so I'm 30 now. So you've been in the industry for about <laughs> half of my entire lifetime. That's impressive. Now
1: that you say it like that,
0: it makes <laughs> me feel old. <laughs> um, so I, I guess... You're doing a bunch of interesting stuff. I kind of want to l- let you kind of plug it. So you are the Tableau magician, right?
1: <laughs> I, wouldn't, I wouldn't quite put it that way. I'm a Tableau enthusiast, and I love having fun with the product because
0: I think it's pretty cool, pretty fun. And I like doing crazy stuff just to push myself. Right. But for those of you guys listening, his website is Tableau Magic, and he's putting out some really interesting content. Before the, we started recording, you said you put 108 tutorials yes. over the past 18, or is that 12 months? 12 months. Wow. So if you guys are looking to expand your skill set, go check out his website. He's got a bunch of content. Also, what's the name of your Udemy course? Bestoke? Creating Bespoke Data Visualizations in Tableau. So... I don't use that word. That's not really in my lexicon. What does bespoke mean? <laughs> oh, it just means custom, not out of the box. Interesting. Or if
1: you I- want to draw interesting visualizations or if you see something and you think, wow, I wish I could have it in my dashboard. That's what I'm helping you achieve. Oh. So, that,
0: so that would be great to take if you're looking to build out your portfolio. Because so, that's something we've talked about um, in the podcast quite a bit is um, – Putting together a portfolio so when you show up to an interview, you already can showcase your analytics talent, and maybe they'll even go through it. I've had students who, before they showed up to their interview, their hiring manager asked for a link to their Tableau public profile.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think that is going to become more and more commonplace because if we're looking at data visualization, not just data analytics, but the visualization side, a portfolio would be required. What can you produce? What can you show me? And like any good portfolio, it's about having a good balance. So you want some functional, you want some simple, you want some elegant, some modern, and yeah, some that's slightly out of the box to show that you have a wider range, let's just say.
0: Yeah, that's fantastic. So let's walk through your history. So 15 years in the industry, where did you get your start?
1: Um, I got my start pretty much straight out of university or college. And I was offered a choice, basically, red or blue pill. So I was asked, do I want to go into web development, which 15 plus years ago, it was a big thing. The internet was kind of new. It's strange for me to say the internet was kind of new. (laughs) But, you know, online websites, web development was very, very big. And I was asked if I wanted to be a Java programmer and learn some web technologies, or there's this little side department we've got a few projects with business intelligence so i actually said okay i understand web development that's very easy for me what on earth is business intelligence is it like the cia or something like that they said no it's about understanding businesses how you can make them more intelligent or as my first mentor said reverse the words it's about creating an intelligent business
0: oh i love that
1: So, and that stuck with me for my whole career and I thought, wow, that's very insightful. What does that mean? Well, and he explains, it means understanding what are the levers to drive a business. How can we distill and make sure that the levers that we think are levers are so we can kind of adjust them? How do we monitor them, measure them and ensure we fine tune our business like any good engine? And every business industry has different engines so therefore it will be a continual journey of learning where we would have to meet different business people business experts in different domains and it'll be a hell of a journey whereas if you build a website a random guy would give you some specifications they'll give you some wireframes and you build or you get to learn businesses and as a side note what he did say to me which also kind of informed my decision with business intelligence, you would always have to speak to business people, always. Whereas with web development, you can basically have layers in front of you that do the business consulting, do the design, and then you could be a basement developer. Which do you prefer, daylight or basement? <laughs> so it, I think he kind of pushed me into the business intelligence sphere. And that's how I got started on this long journey where Surprisingly, I'm still on. I haven't had it create the, well, I've had some minor sidesteps, but not major ones.
0: Yeah, I mean, I I, I really feel that in that. So, I mean, I haven't been in the space nearly as long as you, but I've worked with waste disposal companies, manufacturers, sales organizations, even erectile dysfunction companies. <laughs>
1: <laughs> we'll save that for another day.
0: <laughs> yeah, but I, I, I really do enjoy. Um, kind of getting in and figuring out and articulating each individual business's problems. Yeah, absolutely. Because every business is different. It's amazing. And
1: that's what makes the job exciting. That's why you wake up in the morning. It's a new challenge, new learning opportunity.
0: Yeah. I mean, once you get that kind of problem articulated, then the uh, problem solving aspect, which I almost feel like a. and this is kind of a silly analogy, but I almost feel like I'm in like a world build building space where I'm just solving new problems and kind of expanding out. And it's, it's kind of like what business school tries to teach you. So when I got my MBA, they, they walk you through case studies, but the case studies aren't really as powerful as getting your hands dirty and solving problems and coming up with solutions on your own because you're, you're viscerally in those problems day in and day out. Yeah, absolutely. I think there's a place for use cases definitely in best practice, but
1: nothing will teach you more than having to sit with a marketing executive for three or four hours, understanding what they do, how they do it, and for the specific organization, what are the challenges? And then you'll move on to a finance department in a different company, or you'll move to a marketing department in a completely different field. You'll then be able to see patterns. Right. Right. Most marketing departments operate in very similar fashions, most sales, most finance. And you could see patterns between them. You could take some best practice from one organization to another. And then you could actually see the entire business because I've personally been fortunate enough to work with pretty much most areas of an entire organization from operations to HR to support to infrastructure, which is something that I don't believe many people have that privilege.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I, I totally agree. I mean, I, I'm, I'm, I'm really enjoying, well, I, I've actually taken it a step further in that, so I do have my clients where I'm problem, problem solving for them, but then I have strategic partners. So I've partnered with a marketing agency and they've kind of built their marketing agency around my data discovery. So from, from the first 30 days of them onboarding a new client, we dive into their sales data and figure out their target mm-hmm. demographic. And what's cool is like, I'm, I'm, I've got a new potential opportunity where I've had um, a CFO reach out to me, or I should say a former CFO. He's, he's since, essentially what he did is he retired, got bored of playing golf every day and was like, I want to go back and, and consult. So now I'm kind of learning about the finance side, like I learned about the marketing side from you know my strategic partner, which I find so fun. And that's,
1: that gives real-world practical experience to your MBA. Because in your MBA, you will cover marketing, you will cover finance. But to have that real-world exposure from people that have been there and done that for decades, that's valuable. And as you grow in analytics, that's where your conversations go. You speak to people at various levels of the organizational tree. You discuss various topics, and you learn so much. So yeah, I think it's an amazing place to be. And thankfully, I'm still in it for now anyway.
0: Yeah, that's great. So you had that professor kind of push you towards the business intelligence space. What was your first job coming out of college? Um,
1: it was on a massive project where there was massive reporting requirements, high stress, high energy. Imagine a young consulting firm and imagine someone who, I will describe my past self as narcissistic, egotistical, kind of what left college thinking he'll destroy the world, that kind of mentality. Yeah. So as you could expect, I was arrogant and cocky, so they put me on some tough projects. And, yeah, I'm thankful for it because it was a learning experience, but it was high pressure, learn quick, learn on the job, get something done, and don't screw up. I think, thankfully, times have changed. Because now we have agile, we have more fluid form of delivery as opposed to kind of two months. If you don't deliver, you're in trouble. But I had to learn SQL, which is very basic for what we need to do in a job. I also trained as an Oracle DBA and I started getting up to scratch with SAP business objects or business objects as they were known at the time.
0: So uh, could you elaborate for the viewers, what do you mean by that approach, um, agile?
1: So I think if you think today, we talk about agile development, which involves Scrum stories, two-week sprints, where we define at the start what we want to get done, what we're looking to achieve. And because the window of delivery is so small, we have time to think refine and adjust our profiles in order to deliver better if you go back we used to have waterfall approaches where we will write a 500 page document covering a multi-million pound program and we'll try to deliver upon that and we'll have quarterly deliverables or every half a year we'll have to deliver something big the problem is that there were challenges in that which from a user requirement challenge, from a change of market, from a change of organization, and therefore it became very messy. We weren't as agile or fluid to change. Yeah, the consultant
0: in me is getting anxious thinking about that (laughs) because you don't know what you don't know.
1: Exactly, and how can you – I don't know what I'm going to be doing in two years' time. How can we plan a project with a two-year timeframe? It's astounding if you think about it now whereas okay let's define a direction this is where we want to get to let's start by kind of making the steps as opposed to charting a course it's like if i wanted to walk from london to china i could say okay here's the path let's draw it and let's stick to it ish or we could say let's walk in that general direction we'll get through some hurdles we'll have to take some different routes maybe we could be more flexible but we will get to that journey eventually And guess what? We might stop by Italy and decide, ah, journey's complete. We'll just stay here. So it's a different mindset.
0: Yeah, it seems much more creative and less rigid. Exactly. And
1: I think for a lot of people in my generation, we did have bigger projects. I remember the days of a 2 million pound data warehouse, for example, and big BI initiatives. The one, the biggest, I believe, is kind of, I think in history, most likely, is connecting for health, which was a UK based computerized entire NHS. So you can imagine the entire health system being computerized in some shape or fashion, the patient care systems to a global uh, national spine, massive data warehouse. That cost 12 billion. 12, wow. I think it was. That's a huge they were slated for six, but end ended up being 12. But you can imagine those type of programs, you kind of, a part of you thinks that, yes, you need to have a massive idea in mind. But again, it's the kind of traditional argument. Do you plan big or do you plan small and evolve? Can you have organic growth or do you need a bigger strategy? So again, it's, it's a different world today, which is, for me, far more friendly and far easier from a delivery perspective.
0: Yeah, it just seems like so much less pressure.
1: Oh, yes. Imagine who maintains those documents.
0: <laughs> well, I mean, I've, I've kind of seen that manifest in my own um, consulting practice to where we were, yeah, pitching, you know, $40,000, $50,000 deals. And, um, I mean, from a sales perspective, people just weren't binding on that to where I've kind of, my new approach is we're going to start with the sales dashboard. We're going to get into your um, sales data and, and come up with some quick wins and it's going to be a much lower price tag and that actually seems to be working pretty well because number one i get to develop a relationship with the client we find something interesting and actually just had a client last week we started with just doing a sales dashboard now it's expanded into all five of their departments which is going to be interesting yeah
1: that's it's if you look at from a tableau point of view it's the land and expand method which actually works it's if I could give you a real world metaphor, because I like to do that, it's, it gives me clarity. It's like having a good first date. You, know, mm. got, you present yourself well, you have a great first date, you're having a good conversation, and then you get the second date, third date, and then you start snowballing from there. If on the first date we ask for a marriage, that's kind of going to scare people away. So right. it's good to kind of come in, build your credibility, show that you can deliver, and show that you're adding value. No, because that's the reason why we have jobs is to add value.
0: Yeah. Speaking of adding value to an organization, are there any like emerging skills or I guess I should say titles? Like what job titles are growing in demand and you think that could have a big impact on organizations?
1: So right now, it's very interesting. I think data is huge at the moment. Mm -hmm. I think it's because now we've gone through our websites, we've gone through our web systems, our ERPs, our data warehouses. All this has kind of been built. And now the question is, how do we leverage data? How do we use data as an asset? That is a very fundamental question today. Because if you look at most organizations, number one, people are the most valuable asset. Number two, your data. What differentiates one company from another will be people and data. For the most part. You do have IPs and other stuff, but the key is assume that you're hiring the best people you can. How do you maximize your data? Because that can make a huge difference. So therefore, data visualization is there. Data analytics is there, and I think it will continually be a job. The new boy on the block it seems to be data science, which I think is a very interesting field. But however, my myself, I think it's been really well marketed. I think learning Python and R and algorithms is a great place to be in, but I just wonder how much of that will be commoditized in the next five years.
0: That is a fascinating point. Um, it's, it's funny because I've, I know exactly what you're saying. So we've we've put a lot of um, data science versus business analyst um, titles on YouTube mm-hmm. just to get picked up by the algorithm because people are searching for that right now, and oh, I think yes. I think that. Um, well, kind of the thesis of the content that we're, we're actively putting together right now, um, which may post before um, this podcast goes live, is that it, it, the hype is justified and it's not. I think that if, if you can learn those coding skills um, and become, like, fluent, it's almost like learning a language, though. Like, you have to, like, really be able to hold a conversation with, you know, predictive modeling and coding and all this. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know the fortune 500 is only a small fraction of the total businesses so it may take you you know 2 to 4 years to actually get to become a data scientist but those jobs are extremely competitive the market that i'm kind of seeing myself head more towards is that bottom 99.9% of businesses so you know all these manufacturers all these sales companies they're now now starting to kind of get hip to data <clears throat> And there's a huge demand for that skill set. So you could stack like, you know, your understanding of marketing with data and become a marketing analyst. Or you could be, you know, understand sales and data and become a sales analyst. I think that is a huge emerging trend. And I don't know, it's not as hyped as data science right now. Yeah. But data
1: science has one of the best marketing campaigns that I've ever seen in IT. And it's very simple because they have not marketed to CIOs, CEOs, or whoever. AI will take your jobs in the future. AI is going to make everyone redundant. Mm-hmm. It's an amazing pitch that anyone can understand. Everyone has seen the Terminator movies. We understand how AI can be apocalyptic. So they've put that into the world of business. And that's where data science kind of blends into AI or is trying to draw from the same pool if that makes sense of this kind of fascination of kind of higher level intelligence amazing algorithms stuff that will go beyond however there was a saying back in the good old days of big data i don't know if you're around for the hadoop boom where everyone talked about big data big data cuz that was the buzzword mm-hmm. before ai and data science it was everything was big data
0: oh that that's that's fascinating that you have that perspective since you've been in the space for so long So do you feel like uh, data science is kind of like a fad like Hadoop was?
1: Um, Oh, let me just say one statement. I don't know if this would be safe for your podcast, but I read this great memes like big data is like sex. (laughs) Everyone thinks everyone is doing it. Everyone believes that they're doing it correctly. In reality, no one is. (laughs) I like that.
0: That's pretty funny.
1: And if you play it, because it was true, everyone was talking about big data. Big data didn't really mean much. Just kind of restoring a lot of stuff. Gartner came out with the five Vs, three Vs that define what a big data platform was. But the key behind it was that no one quite knew what it was. No one understood what it was. But everyone had to have it in their title in some shape or form. And this is just me being quite honest at the moment. And I feel data science is the same thing. Now, if you look, there's, everyone's talking about data science. I want to be a data scientist. Very few people understand what that means or the value that can you can derive from such a department or division. It's just something you must have nowadays, which is quite strange because I have traveled through several companies and a lot of the data scientists are not actually scientists. They're kind of running algorithms, statistical models. I don't think that's the same as a data scientist. But really? again, no one knows what it really is.
0: Okay. Yeah. That was the question I was going to follow up with is, um, how would you define a data scientist? So we're going to take a quick pause from the episode so that I can give you some more information about our career services program. Over the last four years, I have developed a very effective approach to teaching the foundations of analytics And I've taken that same curriculum from my case studies and business analytics class at Greensboro College and turned it into a career services program. So if you've ever thought to yourself, as you're listening to this podcast, man, John David students are really lucky. You can have a very similar experience to them. Just check the link in the description down below. My career services program offers you an analytics foundations curriculum so this will shore up any gaps in knowledge that you might have in landing either a promotion or maybe even your very first analytics job and then you get to work one-on-one with me to help build your personal brand so we will look at your resume and also help you develop a customized portfolio all right let's get back to the episode
1: for me personally i don't actually subscribe to many academic definitions or books and i don't really quote people because i'm not that way inclined but i would say the following having studied physics and chemistry during my high school college years i would say i would define data science in the same way as a scientific model so you'll have a hypothesis you'll choose your methodology you run your experiments you'll come with a conclusion and that's it and then you'll pass a report to people and then they'll take it forward then you'll run your next experiment.
0: So that's... I'm so glad we had this podcast. I just learned I'm a data scientist. <laughs> yeah, because a simple thing, uh, let me give you a simple hypothesis. The
1: weather impacts travel. Mm-hmm. Simple hypothesis. Right. Okay, how, That's the hypothesis. Is it true or not? My gut tells me probably yes. If it's snowing in your state, people might want to travel to a sunnier place. Let's go to Cancun. But how do we prove it? How can we prove correlations? How accurate is that statement? Because it's not 100% fact. But let's see if we can quantify, and then can we place our marketing upon that? A simple example is, should we have a marketing campaign for an airline to take people from a colder state to a warmer one every September? How much money will we expect in return? Is there any correlation there? It could be that there is some correlation but it's not worth investing a lot of money try a different hypothesis that's my personal opinion and this is if you talk to scientists there's loads of theories out there there's loads of work that needs to be done by phd students everywhere and what they do is they'll take a hypothesis they'll go they'll have to justify they'll have to read about what's been done before choose a method and then progress through and then you come up with a conclusion not all phds are world-changing but they will prove something or they'll give additional i would say a phd student is contributing to knowledge and that's what data scientists do we don't they don't find patterns they contribute to general knowledge and that's what i see the role of a data scientist as again this is just my own personal beliefs
0: yeah yeah no i get it and it's interesting getting your perspective on it because you've you've been in this space for so long, you've kind of seen, you've got a broader perspective than I do. You know, I've, I guess I should say I've been in this space for about five years. If you include, you know, my education and, you know, having my consulting practice for the past three. Mm -hmm. Um, So I do realize that I'm a little bit green in terms of perspective. Um, And, you know, I've gotten traction kind of in the data visualization space, which is kind of a good segue into Something I wanted to ask you is what what are the juiciest lowing hanging fruit in terms of skills in the analytics space?
1: I think Python would be on top of my list, definitely. I think Tableau would be. I think LBI right now; those are three that are quite hot at the moment. Also, it's not if you want to get into the data analytics, data science kind of the visualization space. That's definitely where you want to focus on but also a good grounding in kind of mathematical theory would be fantastic.
0: Okay, um, let's break that down a little bit more. So why Python?
1: Um, I think if you look at the kind of data science space at the moment, you really have R and Python as main players. I just see there's a lot more energy around at this moment in time around the Python space in terms of productionizing, getting Python into your workflows and also Python has the benefit of being a general purpose programming language. So you could, you don't, if you learn Python, you could also program websites, applications, and you could do a lot more. So I think it's a bit more versatile. So i would focus on that. And also, if you just look at job trends and where people are going to, I think that's the place to be if you want to look at data science.
0: Interesting. Okay. And then you said, so it was Python... And then you, what were the other two, Power BI and Tableau?
1: Yeah. I think if you want to look at self service, BI, dashboarding, those are the two main players today in the market. My personal preference is obviously Tableau, given that I run a website called Tableau Magic. But there's no denying that Power BI is another major tool on the market. And if you talk to most people that are in the data analytics space, a lot of people gravitate towards the two. There are other players, of course, but For me, those are the two leading players in the market today.
0: Okay, so this is fascinating, um, getting your perspective on this, because you've been doing this for so long. Can you give a breakdown between the difference between Power BI and Tableau in your eyes?
1: Yeah, I think to do that, one thing that I have to make clear is both tools are amazing, as are most tools on the market. If there's a tool set on the market today that is being used, it means that it has value. Mm -hmm. The question is, does it have the right value for your business? Is it the right tool for your business? Tableau for me is by far the best end user data visualization, data discovery and self-service BI tool on the market. In my opinion, the reason being is that the barrier to entry is very low. So anyone can pick it up and use it effectively quite quickly with very little training and more importantly there's an amazing community behind the tool that really helps you thrive
0: yeah chris um our buddy christopher scott said that he can train somebody in like two or three days to be at least base level proficient in tableau
1: yeah absolutely
0: i think that is the power of the tool it's very intuitive
1: it's very simple i do a one-day introduction and by the end of it my students are building dashboards from data sets they've never seen before It's quite amazing. And for me, that's the power of the tool. If you are a marketing executive, I don't want you to learn SQL. I really don't because I'm paying you to be a marketing exec. However, you will need data day to day to help you drive your decisions. So therefore the tool needs to be easy, quick to use, very visual can show you information, intuitive, all rolled into one. So for me, Tableau has in my opinion, the market for that if you want self-service no better at all hands down power bi on the other hand it is remember power bi is a part of the microsoft family which means there's a lot of data infrastructure behind it there's a lot of security infrastructure there's a lot of other facets and assets that you can attach to it typically if you're using all forms of microsoft from office 365 to sharepoint if you have all this infrastructure, you'll generally be encouraged to use Power BI because it comes with the package. However, it's not as intuitive. It can be as powerful. You do have a lot of overlap between the two tools. But in my mind, once you start doing some things that are slightly complicated, you have to start playing around with DAX, D-A-X, mm-hmm. which is, does have a learning curve. is not the most intuitive thing, and for a general purpose user in your organization, they won't spend time learning that. So that's quite a barrier to entry.
0: Yeah, I was, so I am actually, I have a proposal out right now um, for my first client engagement using Power BI. So I've, to give you guys context, I've been using Tableau for the past three years in my consulting practice. But um there seems to be a huge demand in Power BI. And I had this company approach me that this is the infrastructure that they want. And I, I am having a little bit of a surprise in how not as intuitive as Tableau is like, for example, you have to go on the marketplace to get a um, heat map, like a state heat map. Like um, that took me a few hours to figure that out. Like I had to go on YouTube and like, um, offhandedly, someone like talked about the marketplace and then I had to go on there and find it to where Tableau, it's all built in. And not only is it built in, but all you do is double click on sales, double click on state, and it builds that automatically. Yeah,
1: a uh, no, 100%. There's some strange usability issues I have to admit, which, again, it could be because I'm coming from a Tableau perspective. Right, we, then, we are a little uh, bit balanced, biased here. Um, but then again, I've also learned Power BI. I've used open source bird, I've used SSRS. I've used a magnitude of tools. And there are things that do surprise me. A simple example with Tableau is Tableau loves to right-click, which I think is fantastic. If you want to do any action, just right-click, select your action, and you could do it. You could change colors and everything. Mm-hmm. Simple example of a gripe of mine with Power BI is that if you want to change the color of a mark. You have to click on the vision itself. You have to go to the side panel. You have to select formatting. You have to find the right drop-down. And there's like a five-step process. All
0: right, I've got a bit of a self-serving question here. Sure. (laughs) This is a problem that I'm actively trying to figure out in Power BI. How do you put a color spectrum on a map? Can you do that on Power BI? I believe you can. I think what you need to do is
1: you need to go to color and then you need to go to advanced color settings which is those three dots in the corner that's kind of hidden for some reason
0: oh thank you <laughs> i've been struggling with this for you know uh, but you hours know, this
1: week you know that kind of those three dots that are at the top that's hidden for some reason mm-hmm. so advanced color formatting i don't know why it's like that and it's not just put in you know available for you to see and um, my guess is that but i think that's the kind of well that's the intuitiveness of tableau compared to power bi is that with tableau i'd say for all the marks you would have color size tooltip text for everything that you see and it's very consistent whereas if you look at power bi each of the visualizations has slightly different options slightly different ways of working and you mentioned the gallery on the custom component gallery that's a nightmare because i've spent time on there trying to download different components and then it it doesn't work doesn't it's not fit for purpose you delete it you download another version it doesn't quite work you delete it and i spent i've spent too much time on that to be perfectly fair
0: yeah it's funny um i just had a notification pop up on my phone saying work on power bi prototype (laughs) 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 so yeah that's what uh i'm doing this sunday working on this for that client um so essentially this is what i've heard Um, for multiple people at this point, is that Tableau is a data visualization software with data modeling capabilities, and Mm -hmm. Power BI is the opposite. It's a data modeling software with data visualization um, components tacked onto that. Is that a fair assessment, or do you you have any critique of that assessment?
1: I I wouldn't say it's entirely fair, but Cause if you look at what Tableau can do, especially with Tableau prep with the fact that you could build basically advanced workflows, you can mm-hmm. build custom SQL statements and you could build your data sources, which you can then optimize and expose, I would say that, so you do have data modeling properties in Tableau. I do believe that if you look at Power BI, there is a lot more modeling capabilities because of the M language. They could do a lot more there. So data modeling is stronger. I wouldn't say it's non-existent in Tableau. I think it's all fit for purpose. But I do believe that the visualization aspect of Microsoft Power BI can be improved a lot. One very important example, if you ever try to create mobile-enabled dashboards in Power BI, it's a nightmare.
0: Hmm, good to know. I'm glad I am not gonna tell my client, yeah, let's let's use this on your cell
1: phone you can't overlay objects and you have to fit into grids you can't just move around and resize you can't do fit you know it's just it's a nightmare
0: so there's no snap to grid functionality within. Oh, there,
1: there is there is a snap to grid but you can't define your grid size
0: oh that's a pain
1: yeah and you can't overlap objects on top of each other again this is very recent gripe of mine but yeah, I think, there are, like I, said, I think for the most part, for 99% of use cases out there, the tool sets overlap. I think the key differentiation is end user or IT. I think if you have a very savvy IT report factory company where you will have centralized IT producing reports that you present to end users, and if you're already using the Microsoft stack, with Office 365 and surrounding components, Microsoft is probably going to be a decent fit for you. If you're looking to provide data sources to end users where they'll be able to service themselves, where IT is solely concerned with compliance, with data management, data quality, data governance, and then the end users who are closer to the business, who are making business decisions, can service themselves. I believe Tableau is the best tool in that situation. And don't get me wrong tableau can also build amazing dashboards with all of security with all the nuts and bolts that you would expect from the enterprise this is for me where i believe if Power BI wants to catch up to tableau from a user fan base user loving the tool base i think they'll need to look at the front end how it works how do you simplify how do you actually make it more intuitive A simple thing that you might try to do is drag a text box onto a power bi report and try copying that thing it's a nightmare hmm. you have to click on the borders; you can't just right click and copy whereas a visualization you can something like that something very simple is quite annoying that you cannot do
0: yeah no that's unfortunate so here's a slightly pivot so tableau does have more i guess intuitiveness as far as data visualization goes. If I'm bringing this back to the podcast topic, if you were talking to a college student or someone who was looking to make a career transition into analytics, which would you advise them learning first or one or the other?
1: Um to be perfectly honest, I would say if you're just starting the journey, there's no reason to not try Tableau. Because one, we have Tableau public, we have massive community support, and we have community initiatives that would help you quickly ramp up and build your skill sets. So I think that's a great starting point. For the most part, when you join a new organization, typically you won't have a choice on tool sets anyway. However, best practice, data visualization, your eye for design, you can refine it anywhere. So for me, I'll say give Tableau a try. Like I said, It's Tableau public, it's near fully functional, and it's free to use. And it's a great place to actually build a portfolio.
0: Great, yeah. Actually, um, about three or four days ago, I interviewed um, Fabio Alamani, who is the analytics manager at Volvo Finance. And um, so they're currently rolling out Power BI for their organization but um, I had one of my, my students who had a Tableau portfolio actually interview for um, one of their new opening positions. And um, I, I was off air, I kind of talked to him about, well, I mean, he didn't, this, this guy did not have um, any Power BI knowledge, and he was saying, well, if you can learn Tableau, you can learn Power BI. So maybe, um, and critique this if, if, if you will, um tableau would be a great starting point in that number one there's a robust community where you can learn the learning curves easier so it's tableau is essentially going to train you how to think about data visualization and then the third point um you can then create a portfolio to then showcase your skills and the time and the effort because one thing that fabio hit on was it was really impressive to him that Chris, the student that I've been working with, had a portfolio already built out. He's, he was saying that a lot of candidates showing up to interviews have not shown the initiative to take that step. And that is really, really impressive from a hiring manager's perspective.
1: No, absolutely, I completely agree with that. I think if you, if you come up to me and say, I'm a data visualization developer, I can build great dashboards, my first thing would be to say, show me. And with Tableau, you do have the community, you do have the support. And I do believe, firstly, the first step on the ladder is always the hardest. We all know this getting that first job, that first position, that first start. And Tableau gives you a great chance for that because you can build an entire portfolio of thousands of dashboards if you want to. And employees will be impressed. We will be able to look at it and think, wow. Now, from a technical understanding, there is an easier learning curve for Tableau for sure. For example, you can build a thousand dashboards in Tableau. With Power BI you could try to do the same, you can do the same, but I guarantee you, you'll once you start becoming or trying more complex things, you'll start spending a lot more time in DAX queries, in the M language, in trying to learn the interesting nuances of Power BI, which are essential for the tool. And you'll spend more time there and maybe have fewer dashboards produced so it is a trade-off i do Mm -hmm. believe that once you learn one there are more important skills than the technical the eye the eye for design is important to be able to actually see and see some data and just visualize it in your mind's eye and then to be able to produce it that's an important skill to understand color balances understanding how to lay out a dashboard these are important skills that will stay long after tableau and power bi are gone and the new tools in fashion so So all transferable skills as well.
0: Interesting. Um, So this is kind of an interesting anecdote related to this. So uh, this past summer, I was flown out to um, LinkedIn. They found me, they found my courses on Udemy on Tableau. uh, But I get out there and they, the first thing they asked was, hey, can you also teach a course on Power BI? I mean, maybe this is insider knowledge that I shouldn't, we talk, well, I guess this isn't insider knowledge. I've made these courses. Um, the demand for Power BI seems to be growing quite a bit. I mean, I'm having inbound leads now on Power BI where, um, you know, I'm established in the space as a Tableau specialist or expert, and I'm not getting, well, I'm still getting inbound leads, but it's just interesting to me that I think that the, the demand for Power BI has shot up quite a bit recently.
1: And I agree with that. If you look at a lot of trends, it is. And I think it's because of the nature of the job that we do. We are consultants. We are project workers. We are coming in to help solve specific and challenging problems. Tableau is actually a very good tool for businesses to adopt. There will be an initial setup cost as with most suites and tool sets. However, once it's up and running, your end users are the users. They will use the tool, they will build their own dashboards, and they will do that happily. IT can manage Tableau infrastructure quite happily. I think from a consultant point of view, there's a lot more challenging aspects to building a Power BI infrastructure, and hence there's more project demand there, there's more work there, there's more leads coming from that space. Because I am seeing the same thing.
0: Interesting. Yeah, Uh, well, I, I feel like this is a pretty pretty good conversation to have right now because you know the industry is always changing and you know tableau just got bought by salesforce indeed
1: that's definitely i was a practice lead for consultancy when that happened and i got so many calls on that day because i'm not an insider list i found out at the same time as most of the account managers and well the whole world to be honest so you can imagine a lot of my clients were calling me saying, what's going to happen? What's going to happen? And all I could say was, I don't know yet. I'll find out. And I'll let you know.
0: All right. Well, actually th- this is um, something I wanted to ask you too. So earlier in this conversation, you talked about kind of the commoditization or I guess, yeah, productization of more advanced skills. So that one of my other clients has Salesforce and they are paying me essentially to teach myself Einstein Analytics. So that is, yeah. (laughs) So they, uh, well, (laughs) speaking of of those deadlines, I've got a deadline of the 27th to have, you know, at least a prototype deliverable. So I'm (laughs) a little bit stressing about that. Um, But do you think that Einstein is kind of that first step towards productizing the data science space.
1: Um, I think it is. Yes, I think. I think for the most part, there would always be need for ad hoc or bespoke analytics for sure, and data science. But for the most part, we can actually automate that, or at least commoditize it, so that it's just drag and drop. If you want to run a clustering algorithm, drag your fields on, drag your clustering algorithm, and boom, it's done. If you want to run a regression, the same time series, just drag it on. So I think it's going to become a lot simpler in that fashion. We don't need to code as much. There will always be a very small need for advanced stuff, coming up with your own algorithms, exploring. But I think for the most part in the next five to 10, it will, the market will change. Interesting.
0: Yeah. I mean, from a, I guess, from a content creator standpoint, um, I'm, I'm on Salesforce's—they call them trailheads—and I'm having to learn this program via like a static web page that has just text, like "do this step, do this step." I, <laughs> the uh, I guess the educator, the um, like you know content creator, course creator is saying, "Man, this needs some courses in it because I'm." And I guess there's a lot of moving parts too, because I'm a little bit intimidated by the data structures within Salesforce. I'm kind of foggy on that. And then how to, I've gone through the trailhead and created my first um, like predictive model kind of in the, you know, sandbox sample environment. Mm-hmm. But um, I guess over the next two weeks, I'm going to be building out the first real thing. And it, I don't know, it's uh Seems a little bit daunting of a task.
1: <laughs> well, the thing is, you'll get there, and remember, they're paying you to do it. Not right. with that?
0: Yeah, that's true. Well, I mean, it's also um, part of a much larger project. So if uh, I don't hit that January twenty seventh mm. deadline, you know, we've had multiple other issues come up. So I mean, I don't think they're going to be super upset.
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, let's hope not.
0: Yeah. Right. Right. I'll lose that client. That would be a shame. Well, this has been a fantastic conversation. Do you have any other kind of like, I guess, closing remarks or any ideas that have been tumbling around in your head?
1: No, I've I've enjoyed this conversation. It's actually one of the few conversations I've done because I'm not massively into podcasts or interviews, although a lot of people have requested.
0: But well, for me, I, 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 I think, think it's smart.
1: To talk about this.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, um, I think that people want this longer form content, you know, cause most of my YouTube videos are like, I don't know, seven to 12 minutes long. And it's like, you gotta, you gotta hook, you got the, you know, point one, point two, point three conclusion. This was a little bit more of like a winding conversation. And there's so much more nuance that you express compared to the YouTube, you know, that, you know, razor focused, you gotta ha- have it out by, you know, 10 minute mark, it's done.
1: Well, it's it's a kind of a symptom of the world that we live in right so we want quick snappy short bites whereas for me personally i prefer long form because you can go backward and forth it's not about putting your point across quickly it's just about having a discussion and hopefully anyone that listens to this will find some interesting nuggets of information
0: yeah that's true well speaking of that nuggets of information if you guys are still listening to this podcast, because we're like quite deep into this conversation, check out Tableau Magic, and also um, look for Tuan's courses on Udemy. You said you've got one now. There's another one on the way? Yep, Creating
1: Tableau Extensions is coming
0: on the way, so that should be
1: loads of fun. Well, by the time you publish this podcast, it might be there, so.
0: Yeah, that's true. We'll see. Awesome. Well, I appreciate it. Yeah, likewise. Hey, I hope you really enjoyed this episode. I'm curious were there any valuable insights or lessons that you learned? Thank you so much for your time and attention, and I hope you enjoy the rest of your day.